Our Country, a country music podcast series with Sally Ann Witten, talking to the big names in Australian country music about their career, life, and the industry in general. Written and produced at 1287 2TM Studios in Tamworth, New South Wales. Welcome to the next series of Our Country. Sally Ann, your host with you today. And our guest is someone who's absolutely no stranger to Australian country music fans, Mike Carr. I think he's done it all. Hi, Mike. How Hi, are Sally-Ann. you? Oh, look. I feel like I have. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because I don't think anyone ever feels like they've done it all, you know? That's you true. You always wake up and there's something else There's to more. Do. There's yeah. always more. But you have, you've done a large cross-section of things. I mean, you've got the songwriting thing covered. Uh, you know, you're a great songwriter, not only for yourself, but for other acts as well. Mm. You've, you're a great musician. You've toured as a you know, performing in other people's bands as well as your under your own name. Uh, and you've got another alter ego as well. Oh, no. yeah. oh my goodness me. How do I fit it all How in? How do you fit it all in? That's that's a good question. <laughs> the funny thing is I do fit it all in and I've still got plenty of time left over. So um, so what else can you do then? <laughs> <laughs> Radio. Yes, well, we'll get to that. We will get to that. But, Mike, I'm really curious. I know you come from a musical family. Your dad's a muso. Yeah. So how did you, what did, what was it like growing up in your house? Was there lots of music around? What was your earliest influences? Well, there was a lot of music around because my brother Darren, Darren Carr, who's a fabulous ventriloquist he comedian is. who a lot of people would know of. Yeah. Well, Darren's a great musician too. So it was one of those things that we just progressed into music naturally. But funnily enough, even though Dad had this huge musical background and everyone knew our father Warren, uh, from playing with Johnny O'Keefe and being on all those six o'clock rock shows yeah. and everything like that back in the day. Dad used to come home from working and um, not really want to play the piano or, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. So we that. had to egg him on a bit. And But to his credit, I mean, he always did, you know, we always did jam out the back. We had a shed, we had an upright piano, we had drums, bass guitars, all yeah, that sort of wow. stuff. So. We were lucky um, that Dad would go in you know, and roll his eyes and go, okay, come on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, are you kids. We'd drag him down to the shed. And back in that day, I got into the recording side of it. I had two cassette players. Ooh. So I used to multi-track. When people, I'll explain what I did. I'd record like a piano and a vocal on that one. And then I'd put the other cassette deck next to that one. And I'd play that and add the ah. bass. And by the end of it, you'd have a cassette that was just going... <laughs> The original. You know, but at least it'd have all the parts on it. So that was my first attempt at multi-tracking. But the a lot of stuff. Multi-track. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened in that shed. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's where it all began. Yeah. Wow. So rock and roll is obviously a big part of your heritage, you know, growing up in a household like that. What? How did you creep into country music? Did you always love it or was it something that you came to a bit later in life? Well, the 70s was sort of like the beginning of my music, you know, listening to records, buying vinyl as a kid, saving mm. up. I know that makes me sound horribly old, but I started no. I started young. <laughs> Let me just say that. <laughs> very, I very young. I started very young. Um, but Dad being in the industry that he was in, you know, he um, he had a big band at um, St George Leagues Club in Sydney and he had that band for like 25 to 30 years. Wow. As well as being the piano player on play school. That's so right. He had like, he just knew a lot of musicians and they were always coming to our house. So we had a vast record collection of everything Um, and a lot of big section of that was country music. My dad's first love was Willie Nelson 
even though he had this huge rock and roll background and everything. Isn't that interesting that Willie transcends the boundaries a little oh, bit? Oh, Dad loved he? just Dad loved the musicianship of it and the, yeah. the, the, the songs. And he always, I mean, if ever he put on a vinyl, which he didn't do that often because being in the music, he'd like to come home to peace yeah. and be quiet, yep. as I said. But he'd put on Willie first, and also Glenn Campbell was a huge, a huge um, thing for him too. I think um, one of the stories Glenn Campbell was here in the 73, 74 maybe and performed at the club where Dad had the band. But of course, he brought his own band and his own thing like that. Um, and on one of the nights he performed, uh, Glenn's piano player took ill and my dad had to sit <gasps> in on it. That's cool. I know. That's, that was very cool. So... Um, he already knew all the songs. Oh, because he had amazing. all the vinyl. Oh, so, so good. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was introduced to a lot of country music as a young person, and um, but it, it, I sort of like because of the era. I was more and living in Sydney. Um, I was drawn to that rock and roll. You know, mm. um, all the bands around town were rock and roll. Yeah, sort of stuff. So that's where my journey went in my early years. But when I moved to Perth in the early 90s for a couple of years, just to escape the East Coast. That's a long way to go. <laughs> it was. I had to get I had to get away from someone. Oh, the, was <laughs> it the police? Say, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, she was a lovely person. <laughs> I'm sure she was. <laughs> but I decided for I decided for a different sea change. So I went to I went to the other ocean. And that was there where I yeah, I got together with a group of, of country players. And we had a band called the Roving Bovines. That's the best band for a country name I've ever heard. Well, it was their name. I actually just joined the band, but it was so their... So did you play piano or...? No, I was playing guitar and playing singing. Playing guitar, okay. But we travelled all up and down in our combi. That's cool. All up and down the West Coast. And it was brilliant, you know. They were a, they were a weird bunch. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it. <laughs> like, you know, they were the, we run out of petrol in the Pinnacles, you know, exploring the Pinnacles, walking wow. on stilts. Wow. They were into all sorts of weird stuff. Okay. And then we'd run out of petrol and have to sit there for five hours until someone came. <laughs> Good times. These were, these were our experiences. Character And building. occasionally we'd do a gig. <laughs> <laughs> Very character building. Yeah, it was. But so it was, were you writing your songs back then as well? Were you writing or doing mostly covers? We were just doing covers. Okay. The great old classics. Yeah. You know. Um, but it was – was I started um, – when I got back from Perth um, – I also studied, I did a year at WAPA okay. in the musical yeah. theatre because I, I did a couple of shows over there. I did Jesus Christ Superstar with um, Angry Anderson. Oh. I got Mark Williams played Jesus. Yeah. Did a couple of shows at um, His His Majesty's Theatre in Perth there um, in between the raving bovine gigs. As you do. <laughs> yeah. But when I moved back to, back to Sydney, back home, it was like oh, I didn't want to do anything else but I started writing country music songs and it was like – I really like this, yeah, and it was okay. that's what that's what started. So that was around the mid about ninety six. Okay. Um, and over the next couple of years, I wrote. I was writing lots of country music. Yeah. And um, one of those songs was uh, the New England Highway, which yes. I came to Tamworth. Started coming back to Tamworth when I got back here, but it wasn't till like ninety. I think it was ninety eight. I was playing in the caravan park. I got a gig. I love a gig in a caravan park, can I tell you? There was no one there. Oh. There was probably scattered, you know, 10, 15 people. And it was the one, it was the caravan, I think it was, was it a caravan park? Yeah, it was a caravan park. It was opposite the, at the back of Diggers Club on the other side of the, 
river. There is, there's camping and caravan and stuff there, and they did have a stage there. This is yeah, back, yeah it was a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was yep. back then. Okay. And um, a good friend of mine, Melinda Schneider, who I knew through my dad and and her mother's, you know, they used to work together. And yep. stuff. So it was, um, yeah, she dragged her then husband down to the caravan park to hear some of my songs. Okay. And um, he was the head of Compass Brothers at the time. Had Compass Brothers, yep. Graham Toms. Yep. And I played the New England Highway and the Anzac. Mm-hmm. That were two of the songs I'd written. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all started. The rest is history. The rest was history, yeah. I came back to Sydney and went and had a meeting with him and he signed me to a publishing deal and Adam Brand ended up recording those songs. Yeah. Mm. So what do you reckon, as a songwriter, is there a difference between a good song and a hit song? Can they be – is a hit song always a good song? You'd like to think that they <laughs> they do exist together. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Well, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Hit songs are hard, yeah. you know. When, so when you write, are you? I know there's probably different thought processes, but are you, do you find yourself thinking in more of that this needs to be a hit song, or are you more thinking about getting your point across in the story, or oh, is there both? Look, it, vary, it varies. I think I think the hit factor in a song doesn't come predominantly from the lyric. It comes more from, as people would say, the beat. And uh, the sing-along factor. So you don't, I don't, you don't try not to keep get a song to be too complicated lyrically. It has to have that sing-along factor. Yeah. And what they call earworms, you know, the things yeah. that get stuck in your head. And we all love a song for those reasons, you know, that you can sing along to it. It's not too hard to ingest and it gets stuck in your head. Yeah. Sometimes hit songs are really great songs, mm. you know. Um, I tend to... Depends on the project. Sometimes, some days I feel like sitting down and trying to write something that's really catchy and yep. may not may not mean something specifically, but means something that someone can take something yeah. out of it or have their own interpretation of what it means. Yeah. But some days it's yeah, it's all about the lyric, mm. and the song gets formed around that lyric. So there's a couple of different things, and the Anzac was definitely one of those songs. The lyric came first. And then the music was put around that. Um, but the New England Highway was probably just a feeling like I was driving up here. It is definitely a driving song. That's right. Yeah. And a lot of those lyrics were actually written in the car. I had this old car, a Honda City Pro. Oh wow. Because back in those days, I was broke. Not that I'm rich now, but I was really broke. <laughs> and... Uh, this little car, oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Someone was selling it out the front of my house. I saw it sitting there for $500, so I bought it. and But it went everywhere. And I think it was in the Honda City Pro that those lyrics were written on the way to town. So it wasn't a terrible car. It was a good car. Well, it has memories <laughs> until the council towed it <laughs> without me knowing. Oh, yeah. whoa. Okay. That's yeah. harsh. Oh, well. So when you do write a song, I know you've written, you write songs obviously for yourself um, to perform but, and you've written for other people as well. Mm. So when you're in that headspace of writing for other people, how does that work? Do you find yourself thinking about, okay, I'm writing for Dolly Parton now so I've got to think about what she would say or do you just really try and craft a great song? Well, I think you've got to be careful not to do that because back in the early days when I was pitching songs to people, I found I did find that a lot of the things that I thought that they would like ah, weren't. Okay. Um, 
Because I think artists are always looking for something new. Mm. So I think you actually have more chance of presenting a song. You have to kind of think, could you see them up on stage singing this song? And if I get to that point where I go, yeah, I'm happy to pitch a song to someone, whether it's nothing like anything they've recorded before, because yeah. I, I think that people like to evolve. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, there's some artists who just want, they want to hear a song that, sounds like something they've recorded before mm. because they you know they're all about their fans and giving their fans exactly what you know what, what they used do to year, year in yeah. year out which is another yeah it's a great thing too um that familiarity but i have found that the most probably the most successful songs that i have had that i haven't co-written were songs that i probably did write for myself yeah okay. you know That's just just writing a song yeah um and I've happened to play it to somebody, especially when I was over in in Nashville. When I had I had a deal over there for a few years, and there were a couple of songs that were recorded, and they were songs that I'd had lying around for forever and didn't think anything of them. But when I got there, I took those songs into a co-write, and whoever I was co-writing with didn't add too much to it, but um, they were the ones that were probably the ones that got recorded. Isn't to it? no great success, yeah. but they ended up on, you know, people's CDs, which is good. Well, that is good. It's always good. <laughs> yeah. Never had a number one, but hey. Well, look, you know, you've got to start somewhere. Oh. got to start somewhere. So when you are writing songs, do you have a formula? Do you, or are you, I know a lot of songwriters have a, you know, they get up every day at eight o'clock and they get out the pen and paper or the iPad or whatever and they have an exact formula and they have a timetable and they're really um, structured and disciplined about it. Would that be sound Look like something? Look at me, something? Sally. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Well, I don't know if there's the right answer to that. <laughs> I don't think there's anything too disciplined in my life at all. Um no, I can't. I can't work like that. I yeah. mean, yeah. I, and I, I know a lot of people who do, and it's a great credit it's to them. Admirable, isn't it? Well, it is. And yeah. actually, my time in Nashville—that's it's clock in, clock yeah. off. You know, it really is. And there's a lot of pressure to have to produce something, and that's the one thing I actually didn't like about it. Mm. But in parts of me, did like it because mm. I knew that I was going there for a certain amount of time, so I had to be prepared. Yeah, which was great. But I love, I love working in blocks. I mean, when you're on, you're on. It's like anything in life. When you feel like doing something, it might last for a couple of weeks and you're very energetic about yeah. it. And I could sit down and write a song a day or write a song and have another idea for a song the next day. And I'll do that for two or three weeks. But then I, when, when, I'm <laughs> when that period's over, yeah. I, you know, I'll, I don't know when it's over. Mm. It's like I'll go in there for a couple of days and nothing's happening. Yep. So then I just like turn it all off. Don't force it. Yeah. Start mowing the lawns, yeah. doing stuff, anything else. Yeah. And and during those periods of time is when I tend to read, watch movies, you know, just do anything. And I think in those periods is where a lot of other ideas get implanted in my head course, for the for yeah. the next little period that I'll write with, write for. So. I like doing it that way. Yeah, that it makes shouldn't sense. It be, shouldn't be stressful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's an art. It's not a sport. That's right. Yeah. But I do I do also like having a timeline. If mm. someone, I mean, the last few years I've been writing some, um, it's like theme song, jingly kind of stuff for TV. And, and TV is a different thing because you'll get someone ring you up and say, we need this tomorrow. Right. So 
I actually love that. That's, okay. That's fun. That's a good deadline. Because that's, yeah, yeah, it's really fun. And you say, oh, what, what, what's the vibe? You don't get much information. Mm. So you really got to bang it out quick. But yeah, it's okay. like, I, I like that challenge too. Yeah, nothing um, like a ticking bomb to make you think quick. Yeah, but also the, the good thing about that challenge is because they need it tomorrow, they're not that fussy. <laughs> <laughs> They'll right. pretty much take anything they get. <laughs> what do you got, Mike? Yeah, yeah. So how do you go co-writing? Do you find that an enjoyable experience? Do you find it all, you know, maybe depends on who you're writing with and, you know, have you got some maybe some tips for some of our listeners that may be looking to co-write with someone about the best way to get the best out of a, a co-writing session with someone? Yeah. Um, it's funny because sometimes I say, oh, okay, you've written all these songs. I'll put you together with this other person who's yeah. written all these songs and it just doesn't yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, you think um, one of my early experiences um, – Eric McCusker from Mondo oh, Rock. Well, yeah. And um, he'd written some great songs. Hasn't he, though? Yeah, Touch of Paradise, yeah. things like that. And I'm like, I was so excited, you know. Great guy. He came to my place and um, and I had a big grand piano there. And it was all set up, was prepared. I had like 20 ideas, you know. And um, I thought we were going to write the greatest song in the world. Mm. And eight hours later, we had nothing. <sighs> and it was just one of those just one of those things yeah you know and i hazard to say that i was probably the weak weak link in the relationship <laughs> no considering his his successes but um that has happened but then you'll you'll just write with someone who hasn't written much and you know, there's just a, they've got something great that they want to say yeah and i think that's where it comes from uh, it comes from just the honesty of writing a song, you know, people want to listen to something that means something. Yeah. So it's always great when someone, um, like especially a young artist who hasn't experienced a lot and doesn't really know what they want to say, but they'll – so I always start talking about their life and their past and, and I think something comes out of that conversation before you even write something. And then if you're writing something that means something in their life, I think nine times out of ten you'll you'll get you'll get a good song. You yeah. Know? So it's it varies, but there are some people that I love writing songs with, and I have for years. And Melinda yep. Schneider is one of those people. Very clever, um, interesting ideas. Mm. Um, Drew McAllister is another one. Yeah. Love writing with Drew, even though we haven't written for a while. But yeah. Um, and getting back to Adam Brand, I mean, even since those first songs. Um, We've written lots of songs together and Brandy likes to keep it keep it simple, keep the message simple and mm. I love that about about him. Um, and I add the the weird chords. You know what I mean? Awesome, yeah. Well, Just that's a good balance chords. though. Yeah. And that's the good thing about a co-writing partnership, I think, finding that right person where you can complement each other, like each oh, other's strengths like that. Absolutely. And that's with Cornell and Carr. Yeah. It's the same thing, you yeah. know. Um, Maddie's not the ideas guy. I'm the ideas guy. Well, the ideas, mm -hmm. and then we'll sit down and work on it together. He'll make the the lyric a little bit more easy to understand because yeah. my head's a bit wacko. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we'll go into the studio, and I'll fall asleep. You know what I mean? That's my role in the studio. I actually lie it's down. It's important. I lie down, and yeah, and he gets with the producer, and <laughs> okay, we're going to do this here. We're going to do okay. that. So it's like. 
Yeah. So it's a great that's, working that's relationship. The combo. You know each other's strengths. That's, that's right. important. Yeah. 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 So both of you two are really great musicians as well. So how big a part do you reckon that plays in being able to craft a good song, having good grounding in, you know, in an instrument somehow? Does that make a big difference? Oh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely does. Um, and it's part of, part of my uh, musical life that I actually regret that I never learnt Music. Mm. I never studied music. Yeah. Um, never too late. Could, hey? We could send you back to school. I've thought many times that there's <laughs> been periods in my life when I thought, you know, because I listen to some of my favourites. I mean, and some of my favourites, like musically, are people like Billy Joel and Brian Wilson from the Beach mm, Boys. And genius. I'm, yeah, the genius in, in that. And I listen to and I dissect their songs and I go, you know, there's no way I could ever do this because I don't have the musicality. Mm. I don't understand where the chords are going. Yeah. I don't yeah, – I understand the basics of it, yeah. but I don't know how to actually make it really good. Mm. So I think working with musicians when you're recording songs, the better musicians you get can oh, add, course, those little, yeah. add those little things. They hear those things yeah. that you're hearing and can't, you know. But it, I, do, I do regret not having that – that's that study behind me, mm. but then again, I've always you know we learnt music from ear. My dad was my dad could read the notes and all yep. but we my brother and I we just learned it by ear, and um, yeah, and just playing and writing and just doing it, just yeah. doing it. We can't teach that stuff, I and mean, you can always go back and learn music theory and all you know all that kind of stuff. But you can't teach life experience. You can't teach being able to hear the notes and hear the tones and and playing by ear. Well, everyone like laughs at my chord charts. Cause oh, well, that's just rude. <laughs> it's just rude. <laughs> you know, I've got a band gig. Oh, I've got this new song. Here's a chord chart, and we will play it. Like, and and um, I don't even know what the chord is that I've written. Like, I might write the song on the piano, and it'll have a suspended ninth oh, or yeah. something. Yeah, one of those yeah, chords. Yeah. But I actually don't know which one it is. So I have to ask someone in the band what is this chord mm. so I can write it on the chart so everyone okay. can get it right yeah yeah that's okay <laughs> I do that all the time I've got a chord dictionary for a husband I'm always Alan <laughs> what is this is it a no is it a no no it's a or it could be a oh, okay just give me one <laughs> that's the thing but you know it sounds yeah. good and it yeah. sounds right and, yeah and it's actually a funny story when we were recording we recorded this single uh, Maddie and I, what kind of well? That was recorded with Stuart Stewart, who's famous for Geronimo Shepherd yes. producing that. Mm-hmm. And um, and he works. He's got a great little studio, and he's a bit wacky. And but his his process of recording was quite different to ours. And um, so this was the first time we'd done a song with him. And I was singing this harmony on. We did two tracks. The other one. It's still in the process of being finished. There's 240 tracks on this song. I was singing these harmony lines, and he's like, "Well, that, that's just not working. It's not working for me." And I'm like, "It's right. I'm telling you, shut it's, up. It's the right <laughs> harmony. I wrote the song. It's the right harmony." He's like, "But that note's not even in remotely in this chord," and I couldn't exp- And you know, yeah. so some people are like yeah, that too much that way, perhaps. Yeah, it gets and in I'm the way. like. But it sounds great. Yeah, I and you've you've obviously created a great chord extension there that created something. Yeah, that works for me. Yes, but um, so yeah. that's a, that's a point too. I think sometimes the formal stuff can maybe get in the way of the creative stuff. Oh, absolutely, yeah. totally can. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's why you try to work with 
other people. Yeah. You try to, to do that because I think it is important to have other people's input, but it's also really important that you work with people that are on the same wavelength. Absolutely. As you. And that's that sometimes is the hardest thing to find. Yes, because sometimes you don't know until you're in the thick of it that this is not going to yeah, work. They we just are... need to get what you're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Especially when it's your money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it's it's it is there's a there are a, there are a few people out there who get what's coming out of my head, which is great. Slightly um, scary. And, well, it's it's not, <laughs> well, you know, having written a hundred buddy good songs over the years, I mean, what comes out of my brain is like <laughs> not quite the norm. But it's um, I do find that some people really get it. Or some people don't get it, but they like it yep. nonetheless. Yep. And then some people are just totally, you know, resistant to it. And I tend not to want to work with the people who are of against, you know, have their set little way, and which is fine. It's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. That's fair. So how do you go? Because you do have that whole other... Um, ego, alter ego with Buddy Good. Mm. Do you find because it's quite a specific writing style, shall we say, specific genre? It's very funny. It's very funny. But do you find it hard to keep them separate? Is it a trick, or do you don't mind if they cross over? It's funny. Like over the last twelve months, I've been writing lots of songs because I've had plenty of time. And like, and I'll demo them up, and I'm a shocking demo. I'm just, you know, I just don't have the patience. But I do it. I do it. And um, I'll come out and I'll say, oh, I'll write this new Cornell and Carr song or I'll write this song for so-and-so. And, and, and I'll play it to my wife, Leisha, and she goes, sounds like a buddy good song. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can you not put those trumpets in there? It sounds like a buddy good song. <laughs> but I get where she's coming from, you know. And I go, oh, really, is it? And so sometimes, yeah, they do. But, I yeah. mean, ultimately, I mean, they're all coming out of the same person, so they yeah. are going to be influenced yeah, in of course. some way. Not lyrically, but... Um, <laughs> Not that's yet. why, well, that's why when I write the Buddy God songs, I always try and write the lyrics before I touch the music because if I do the same process as I do, you know, I, I usually write both together with uh, with my normal music. Yeah. Yeah, but with the Buddy Good stuff, lyric first, so then I can, so then the music can be just a little bit more, you know, it can be different. Yeah. Based on the lyric and where that's going, so it can be a little bit wackier. But there are some there are some songs that Buddy does that sound very much like something I've written for Adam Harvey. Oh, well, <laughs> this, that's not a bad thing. Oh my God, there's a song. Actually, no, I won't. I won't talk about that. <laughs> oh, you've told us now. You've given us that. You can't. You can't just let us hang. It's it's funny because I was actually watching Adam Harvey perform the other night. And uh, he's doing it. I think it's a uh, Josh. Who's the the American with the, Josh Turner or Josh? That song. Oh my God! I can't even think of it. So I shouldn't have told this story. <laughs> but he does a cover of this song by Nashville guy. He's got a low voice. Do you know who I'm talking I about? Think Josh I think McCready or yes. Josh Turner. Or I think I know who you're talking about. Josh it someone. is a Josh. Yeah, you're it right. It is a Josh. And do turn the lights down low. Yep. that's the song. No, I don't the know one. what it's quite called. Yep. But I, he's playing this song and I'm good like, oh, my God, this – I wrote a Buddy Good song called Doing It <laughs> and it's off – I think it's on the second Buddy Good album mm-hmm. and it's the same. Now, it's the same song. Yeah, it's like bizarrely the same. And um, 
I'm not sure when this other song came out. I think it was after it. <laughs> I might think it was after it. But I didn't know the song, and I'm sitting there going, and Harvey's singing, do, do, do the lights down low. And it's the standard country thing. Yeah. But my doing it song is, oh, it's the same. It's the same, and it freaks me out every time I go, wow. this is how easy it is to cross over from one song to the yeah. other. Yeah, And um, luckily, I mean, I wish he'd recorded my doing it, doing it. <laughs> Maybe, well, I'm thinking a mashup could be on the cards. It could be. That's the new cool thing to do. It's unbelievably wow. easy to write a song that is almost exactly the same as some Something song else. you've never heard before. Yeah. Isn't that and, weird? Yeah. Um, well, everything comes from somewhere, doesn't it, I guess? Our musical influences, everything comes from somewhere so maybe you guys have got similar influences well the funny thing is i don't i used to think it was influence yeah i used to think it was influence but i think it's mathematics i think there's only so many notes that's and they true. can only go in so many orders that's true and you know after hundreds of years of music contemporary music it's like wow it's gonna happen there'll be a doppelganger somewhere Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I mean, a lot more people are suing people over this now and without even knowing the correlation with these songs. I mean, the famous one was Sam Smith recently with the Tom Petty song. Mm. And I actually thought that was a bit of a stretch. It is a stretch. Really but according did. to the law, it's not a stretch. It, mm. You know, it fits into that. And I, and I think it's a stretch too. Mm. But if you dissect it, like, you know, mm. a non-musician would dissect it. True. You go, it is the same. They're the same notes. but So it's really easy to do, you know, and if you do it and get away with it, hey. Good luck to you. <laughs> <laughs> Good yeah. luck to you, Josh. <laughs> the, uh, there'll be a lawsuit coming your way, mate, sometime soon, stamped with Buddy Good's name on it. Ah, I don't care. <laughs> good Bring it on. <laughs> so speaking of Buddy Good, how do you find, um, I mean, I know you, you do so much. Like I'm just surprised that you can manage to balance all of that stuff. So you're a musician, uh, you know, you play on the road well, I'm with not other a great people. Musician, that's how I don't practice. <laughs> well, that's answered my question then. <laughs> um, you write songs, and you've got the buddy good thing as well. There's an awful lot of stuff. How do you balance that? And how do you find being having an alter ego like Buddy Good, who's really popular, he's been on TV and stuff. Is that hard to balance uh, with Mike Carr? Mike Carr and Bradley Good, do they coexist well together or is it a bit tricky to find that balance? I don't think balance? they do. <laughs> no, to be honest with you, I, yeah, I don't think they do. Um, the Buddy Good thing happened on a whim. It wasn't a planned thing. But then it sort of like took over. It took over my life for 10 years. Yeah. And um, so everything was about Buddy Good and, yep. and everything else that I was doing sort of like got pushed aside. Not the songwriting side of it, yep. but me recording and me being an artist like I was. That must have been hard. I would find that hard. Well, (laughs) it's funny because, I I don't know, I get tired of things. Yeah. I go through phases, you know. So at the time, it was actually a breath of fresh air for me. And then after the sixth album, (laughs) I was like, man, I don't know how much more of this I can write, you (laughs) know. So then a couple of years after that, sort of, that's when I was doing the Studio 10 stuff. I wasn't writing Buddy Good songs as much. I was still recording albums, but then the Studio 10 thing took off and, and then that became, after a couple of years of doing that, that became something that I lost interest in too um, because I wanted to be a serious musician mm. again. Yeah. So, 
Buddy's still doing shows, but not as nearly as much as he used to. It's more like a bit of a... It's still like a fun thing. Yeah. And there's a few people out there who like to see him occasionally, so I drag him out of the closet. And, uh, <laughs> the closet. But at the moment, I'm going through that phase where it's it's all about the project with Matt, Cornell yep. and Carr, and me writing songs um, with and for other people and with, you know, the hope that maybe I'll do some more recording on my own too yeah. down the track. So, um, which may not be country, you know. I mean, there's... I've been writing lots of, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a journey. You know, this year's taken me on a journey. So, I don't know. We'll see where it leads. Yeah, we don't want to box yourself in to a particular thing. See what happens. Well, I've always been in, in interested. I've always loved hearing other people sing the songs I write. Yeah. And I always loved hearing that more than I hear myself singing songs. All right. So it's always been one thing. I've I've just gone. Oh, this is you know. Especially female singers. I love hearing a good female singer sing a song I've written. Just gives me goosebumps. Always has. Yeah. So I have been working on a project that hasn't hasn't sort of like come into anything. It's just thought process mm-hmm. of writing a whole bunch of songs um, and making an album with a bunch of guest vocalists ah, on those cool. songs. Yeah. So that that is something I've been thinking about yeah. doing, and it might not happen. But I, yeah, I've. Just, you know, cause it sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it does sound like and a lot I of work. And I shy away from a lot of work. <laughs> but it'd be something as I'm getting older that I'd love to just love to do just for doing it. Yeah. Yeah, for the sake of doing yeah, it. Yeah, that sounds like fun. So if there's anyone out there who'd like to put their hand up to sing on it. Look, I could think me. of, I know, I know a girl that would probably put her hand up. I'm mm. sure she'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. sweet. Melinda, I can give you a number. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'd love to do it. Um, look, Mike, it's been so good to chat with you today and we'll wrap up the podcast. I know you've got um, shows to get to and and things happening uh, while you're here in Tamworth, but I just want to ask you one more thing before you go. Um, a lot of people listening to the podcast are aspiring musicians, people involved in the industry, and you're a, I mean, you're a veteran. I don't want to make you sound old, but you've certainly... I'll take veteran. That's yep, good. Yep, that's good. <laughs> um, better what, than has been. Oh, certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, what would your advice be if you had a couple of hints and tips for people who were, you know, maybe just starting out in the country music industry and trying to find their way maybe as a singer-songwriter or an artist? Have you got some hot tips? Well, the thing I've noticed is how, how much music has changed. And being a veteran, you, t- you, <laughs> you know, you tend to resist change. You know, you yeah. like the old way. Yeah. And because you surround yourself with people of a similar vintage, you um, you have those conversations. And yes. most of them are like, oh, I don't like what's happening. And da, 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 da. Yes. But if you actually sit down and work it out, now is a great time to be a musician, a songwriter and a singer. There is so much scope for you to get your music out to the world via all the, you know, the platforms that you can. And people say, oh, it's, there's not much money in it. No, but you don't do music for money. No. Money and success come from loving what you do um, and doing it as well as you can. So I think, I actually think that it's a great time. Um, you can sing a song, you know, in your bedroom. And if someone likes it in Germany, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, this it's cool, is just, isn't this it? Is a, it's so great that... Um, you don't have to go through the conventional 
ways you don't have the gatekeepers, as some mm. of them refer to. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that disrespectfully, but there was a, used to be a long process to get your music heard. You had to get it on the radio. You had to try and get yourself a record deal, get in the studio, mm. get, do all these things. And now it's just there at your fingertips. Yeah. And you can create whatever you want and put it wherever you want. There's an audience. There's always an audience out there. They just have to find you. So um, I think it's the best time to ever do that. And and don't think that what you're doing is, is stupid or dumb or that you have to impress anyone other than the people that are out there listening to it, you know. You'll find your audience. They're out there already. Yeah. they just got to hear you. So I think young people especially know that that's the way to go. And, um, yeah, all the other things will stick around. But I tell you what, as an old vintage person. <laughs> veteran. I, veteran. The veteran, that's right, <laughs> veteran. I love it. I love the t- – I'm not on TikTok, but I'm about to join. Ooh, I love. I out. love it all. Yep. It's only been the last 12 months that I've gotten into the Instagrams and the – you know, I've never been great on Facebook and stuff like that, but I, I've just seen it's a culture and it's actually a culture that I, th- I think I'd like to be involved in. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Oh, it's all moving ahead. You've got to be part of it or you get left behind, I guess. Yeah. Uh, look, if you really love it, you know, why don't, I mean, it's one of those things. I've written hundreds of songs, you know. A lot of them are in the drawer. No one's ever heard them. I mean, so it's like. I'd like some people to hear them. Yeah. Even if they don't like them, I'd still like them to hear them. Get them out. If they're in Iceland, wonderful. Yes. (laughs) Even better. Yeah. (laughs) Mike Carr live in Iceland coming up soon. (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) Oh, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you for being a guest on the 2TM Our Country podcast. It's been fabulous. It has been. I love it. I love talking about stuff and I love talking to you, Sally Ann. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Stuff is good and you're good at stuff. And uh, this has been a really great chat. So we really appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me.